because my dad was in a wheelchair. My mom was bald. And so comedy came into my life early because it was like yeah. so awkward. You just had to laugh that like your my parents were like these strange looking yeah. people. Welcome to Crying Behind Sunglasses, a mental health podcast for cool people. Join me, your fearless host, Kayla Dahl, as I interview comedians, entertainers, experts, and people from all walks of life about their issues and find a way to laugh about them. Because if you can laugh about your problems, then they no longer have power over you. I'm here to share more about my own self-help journey too, so that you can feel less alone. Disclaimer, this podcast is not meant to be a substitute for medical advice or therapy. Shocking, I know, but I'm not a doctor. This show is more like the hot cup of tea after therapy. Let's do this. Hey there. I'm so happy to welcome you to my cozy corner of the internet. If you are a new listener, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, Don't forget to follow and subscribe or whatever it is that you do on wherever it is that you're listening to this on. Uh, We also have video available on YouTube if you check the description below. So be sure to do that. And um, if you're coming back, then thank you. I love you. And I am so excited to present today's interview. So Chelsea London Lloyd is a comedian and she also hosts a podcast called Dying of Laughter. And her podcast is all about grief. She grew up with a dad who had ALS who passed away when she was really young and is currently dealing with her mom who has stage four breast cancer. Now, I know that that all sounds very heavy because it is, but I think that Chelsea is the perfect example of someone figuring out how to find light within that darkness, you know, because we can't let these things rob us of our joy. And these people who have passed on, they would want us to be living our lives to the fullest. So let's figure out how the frick to do that, right? Uh, We talk about all things grief, anticipatory grief, which is something I hadn't heard about before. It's when you are anticipating losing someone or something. And instead of connecting with them in that moment, you already are processing that loss. We also talk about grief in all other forms and how we can laugh to get through it. Uh, We get into some girl talk towards the beginning of the episode, dating. Uh, She recently went through a breakup. And so her advice on how she is coping with all of that and getting into single life. And as a writer, how Chelsea is able to find pockets of time for creativity. And I share about the Pomodoro method It's actually based on the Pomodoro tomato, a little kitchen timer, but you can use it to be productive in your life. Good listen, lots of fun. And as always, if you like what you hear here, 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 you know what I mean. You like what you listened to here, then please leave a review for us and share it with a friend because it really helps to get the word out so that we can continue to destigmatize these conversations around mental health. So without further ado, please enjoy. She's an actress. She's a comedian. She is the host of 
an awesome podcast that actually I think a lot of you should check out because it really has a lot of overlap with what we're doing here with mental health. Uh, it's called Dying of Laughter. Please welcome Chelsea London Lloyd. Hello. What's up? We're in person. I haven't done an in-person interview in a second. It's still so Zoomy for me, even years later with the podcast. So this is fun. How are you feeling? I feel great. On that note, uh, we do have two little white fluffy dogs running around the studio. Can they be seen? I don't think they can see them, but now you know and you can you can feel they, them. Yeah. Well, whenever they decide, you know, like we will have their moment. Yeah, uh, they but, might approach. Because, <laughs> well... Listeners of the show, they know Coconut, but yeah. we've got a guest star, Penny. So, yeah. you know, she's chewing on a bully stick right now, so I feel like I'm going to let her live her life. I know. I mean, it <laughs> might be distracting, but it's also the thing that's going to keep her occupied. So I don't think they'll hear it. But if you do, it's just a stick. It's ASMR. It's, yeah. <laughs> and as I recently found out, the bully sticks... Are made, do you know what they're made from? Yeah, it's a pole penis. It's stretched That's and it's dried out. disgusting. I am so <laughs> upset. My dog lives for this peen. Like, it's her last day on earth. Like, every single day. And she's like, today cannot be the last day. And then has another and another. Like, dogs eat so much dick. But, like, they love as it. you were saying that, I was thinking, like, are you also talking about yourself? Are you living for the peen? I do not eat it like this. This is a whole other level. And no, I'm not. And I'm upset. And I don't actually, I don't even like, I don't eat certain meats. I'm like, I don't care. And it's not like a, it's not like a thing, but I'm just like, I haven't eaten cows in 20 years. And now I'm buying like bull dick for my dog every single day. So I'm like, there you go. You know what? Motherhood will change. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I'm like, it's but imagine if you were like a crazy dog mom was like, I don't eat meat. So my dog won't eat meat. Like they're animals. They're definitely going to need to eat that stuff. Oh no, I have seen Friends who will go unnamed who are feeding their dogs vegan dog no, food. No, that's a no. And uh, this is now a dog podcast. Yeah. So sorry. Yeah. Uh, but you know what? The plight of a single dog mom, it is something that should be discussed. Is, is there a podcast just for single dog moms? Because I should be on it. I should actually host it. You and I. Yeah. You and I. Okay, great. Is that okay? Do. Yeah, that's fine. Because there's a lot you get into. Yeah. Uh, so to bring it back to you. I mean, you are in commercials with Kelly Clarkson for Wayfair, like all over BuzzFeed, doing all these indie films. I'm so excited for you. It's been very cool to see everything just climbing, climbing, climbing. Tell me, where did this spark come from where you wanted to perform? Was this something you discovered when you were a kid? Yeah, deaf a kid. What about you? Were you a kid? I was nine. You were nine. Yeah, (laughs) cute. I think I was just always doing it. I was always in like three musicals a year from when I was five. So by the time I was like 18, I had done like five billion musicals. I mean, I could not sing in any of these musicals. And I didn't know. And that's like the beautiful thing about being a kid is like, you just don't know. So I have so much footage of me like belting horribly. But yeah, I had done like 10 billion plays by the time I was like, I don't know, 10. Okay, so this is Penny. Can you tell us just a little bit about Penny because she's here? Because <laughs> she's here, yes. Okay. I got my dog, like, I don't know, six to nine months ago. I'm going to just round round to that. Huh. And I uh, named her Penny because see a Penny, pick it up. I literally saw her on the street, picked her up next to some sewage. <laughs> Unclear if she was, like, put in the trash can or what, but uh-huh. she was severely underweight she was a golden brown dog like a penny oh my god and once Here, i took you her, your daughter once i took her to the groomer she yes. turned white and i was like but her name's already penny and I, I was gonna say and they were like nope here you go and i was like please don't give me a little white dog i live in la no offense you have one but no i can say that because i do too and i was like no but she was like a brown dog for a week and they're like 
no girl and i was like i bathed her they're like not good enough i was like yes i did they were like no you didn't um but yeah i was with an ex at the time and we were fostering her and then we decided to uh break up with each other and now i'm a single dog mom it was not expected it's a lot of work it's really cute but i mean the face the face she's she's a lover she's so sweet Love her, not a fighter. She's a follower. The daycares are like, she's definitely not a leader, definitely a follower. She just follows people around. But mm-hmm. I have all these pictures on her first days of daycare. Like, every single dog is in the yard, and she would just, like, sit in a corner inside, like, by herself and had no friends. But anyways, I pretty womaned her. She's getting her act together. I mean, you don't always get the dog that you want. You but get the dog you need. That's, that's what, what I'm saying. Say. Because when I went to adopt my dog, yeah. and this is, like, she's an emotional support animal, okay? Yeah. Like, yeah. For real. Yeah. And when I was adopting Coconut, yeah. um, I also didn't want a tiny dog. Yeah. So, like, Welcome. I understand what you're saying. I was like, mm, I don't want to be such a stereotype. I don't want to look like Paris Hilton, right? But I I went to this rescue looking for, I saw a picture of a dachshund uh-huh. that was also a brown dog. Uh-huh. Uh, and I thought, that, that dog's so cute. I'm going to go meet him. And we're yeah. going to run off into the sunset together. And we met. And there was just no vibe. Yeah. Wasn't my dog. No chemistry. And so then they brought another dog. That dog was really afraid of me. And so I said, you know what? I uh, I really like what you're doing here. Uh, I want to help. I don't know if I'll end up actually adopting a dog today, but can you just give me a dog that doesn't bark, that is under 25 pounds, that'll go on hikes with me, and I'll foster for a few weeks. Yeah. Just because I really think that's a... Yeah. I want to say a th- thank you to your organization yeah. just for, I don't want to waste your time. And they brought her out and she was just so cute and just kissed me on the face. And I was like, okay, yeah, this is. You're like, that's my dog. That's my dog. I know you mentioned a little bit about your breakup. Would you be comfortable sharing um, a little bit more about that? Because yeah. in our support group, as well as like, I just hear from a lot of people that come in my DMs about relationship advice. And I guess my first question is like, how long were you together? How was it when it was good? And then what would you be comfortable sharing about? Like, how did it turn? Was it, was it just subtle little changes over time or was there something sudden? Yeah. Uh, We were together about seven years, Uh which is a long time. And yeah, getting the dog was the sudden yeah, it was pretty really? sudden when I got the dog. So don't get a dog. No, I'm just kidding. No, it, um, no, it was helpful. I mean, it's never about the dog. Like, no. But that's kind of what just instigated these conversations. And we saw each other more as friends, which is confusing because I think ultimately that's a that's a beautiful thing. And I think, you know, after five years, like a lot of relationships turn a little bit more platonic. But like, how can you keep the spark alive? And Finding that spice. It's hard. Yes. But we ultimately saw ourselves, you know, just wanted different things for our lives. And Mm -hmm. then it just brought up all those conversations. So, yeah. I mean, it was great. We met on Birthright originally. So, we had, like, a funny, cute... Shout out, Birthright. Okay, okay, okay. But this is cute. Yeah, we had a good meet cue, for sure. It was, like, uh, an L.A. entertainment industry trip. So, everyone was in the entertainment industry, which is, like... Very smart because common interest, right? I'm actually mm. funny. You should say I'm going on a dinner tonight with a bunch of people from that birthright trip. So we're still very close. That's so nice. Um, yes. But um, yeah, so we met in Israel and like our first date was on the plane. It was like a 14 hour first date and like wow. first kiss was on the plane and like all these things. Yeah, it was cute. We did it for like all of my 20s and now I'm single. And I feel like it's funny. A lot of my friends like, you know, 
like went wild in 20s and then like settled down in 30s and I was like very settled in my 20s and now it's the reverse so yeah but you get to have it and I think that's important is like you're acknowledging that and saying okay I didn't get that time and now I'm gonna have that time instead of saying well I didn't get that time and now because I'm in my 30s that's, that ship has sailed for me and I'm just going to go directly into whatever society thinks yeah. a woman of this age should be doing. Like you're taking ownership over that. And I think that's really, that's really beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. I'm definitely <laughs> owning it. Have sex. Live your life. 30s squad. Let's go. Yeah. Absolutely. It's so fun. Life is, like, people like to say, oh, life is short, but it's longer than you think it is. And you don't need to rush yourself into whatever the next yeah. phase of adulthood it is that you think you need to be in if you're not ready and like you deserve to have to like taste all the flavors of the rainbow yes. have all these experiences like it's going to help you get to know yourself better oh, and to yeah. be a better partner if you decide to you know do that again yeah for sure so, I think I'm like a few years away from wanting to date seriously for me personally sure. but like I do see a future with someone and wanting to do that but I feel like yeah, my advice to people going through breakups is like just being nice to yourself because it changes all the time. Like what you need, what you want. Some days you're totally fine. Then months go by and you're not fine. Yeah. But just like getting comfortable with yourself again. Because, you know, that person, especially when you live together, like we live together and this dog and stuff, it's like it's like a limb of your body. Like they're just always there. It was so long. So just that transition. I mean, you kind of grew up together too. Yeah. Yeah. So much of that. But I feel like wish him the best and like, we're cool. But now I'm, I'm excited to have this chapter in my life. I mean, it's single life is is so far so good. I think because I'm not jaded and I've like not been single in so long. Like I'm like excited to go on dates. My friends are like my 1000th bumble. Like I'm so unwell (laughs) and I'm like, cool. Like I'll go on some dates. So I'm not jaded, knock on wood. So I'm having fun. Cut to like, this is going to air in like four years. Welcome back on and be like Kayla it's miserable out there you're like crawling yeah. to me through the desert just like your hair is like yeah. all greasy you got like a weird scrape on your face yeah. for no reason yeah. Yeah, totally. and you're just like <sighs> yeah hopefully unless the scrape is from sex like then I'm okay with that do we need to send you to Israel again to find I know what if heart? what if I like I hope that's not what it takes like flying across the world but I wonder what will happen yeah you're not you're not in that moment we're an exploratory yes. moment which yes. I think is really cool yeah and so your attitude towards this dating app is actually very refreshing because I feel like you said like people are very jaded so yeah. when you're getting ready for a date Mm-hmm. what like do you have certain affirmations or rituals or anything to kind of boost your confidence before you're going well, in? I have a date tonight so we'll see what my rituals are it is interesting I think I'm one of the only like not jaded people on the app that's it I mean they're annoying like I don't think the apps are inherently <laughs> great like I've certainly talked to a bunch of like yeah. just people who ghost or they're weird or like yeah. too much I mean I've like, I'm not like, oh my God, everyone's great. Like, no, people are horrible. Yeah. But um, for me, like, if there's enough of a rapport, no one's ghosting, no one's being like too sexual immediately, which nothing wrong with that if you're into it. But like some guys, it's like, hey, come over. And I'm like, no, I probably would have fucked you in the first, you know, few dates to be honest. This Before I even meet you, like what? No. Yeah. First off, just so you know, this is a very adult podcast, okay, explicit. Well. Let well, your yeah. let your freak flag fly, please. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you I get what you're saying because it's like, hey, dudes or ladies, whoever yeah. it is that is being very yeah. sexually uh, yeah. forward yeah. with these people on the apps, it's like, 
Yeah, you're you might actually get what you want if you're just a little patient. No, totally. Like it's like I, I get that not everyone wants to wait a long time. I yeah. don't really either, but like I'm sorry. Hey, come over. I don't know who you are. You're a complete stranger. We have no mutual friends. Absolutely not. It's Take not safe. me on a drink. Let's see if there's a rapport. And maybe like, you know, even within the first few months, weeks, even you could get what you want. But no, some people are crazy. So for me, I think if there's a rapport and it's respectful, I should just go. Mm-hmm. I also try and make dates fit into my regular life, which again, I think this will be different when I'm looking to date very seriously. Yeah, you might make more time. Yeah, and or like if I'm looking for like the one, if you believe in that, I don't know. I'm already like half divorced, so maybe this is my, I'm looking for the two. I'm the kind of person, I believe that one person can have many different loves within their lives. For sure. And they're all different and beautiful. And like I've learned so much from each of my relationships. Yeah. So the concept of the one, it makes it. It's so impossible pressure. to date because then if you have that in your head, you're like, well, there's only one person that's going to meet all these requirements. And if I don't find them, I'm going to be unhappy forever versus being like, oh, right. All humans are imperfect. Let me find someone that meets my basic, not basic needs, but like yeah. these are my certain things that are very important to me. Let me get to know them. Let's see how it feels. And let's see if our lives actually work together. Today's episode of Crying Behind Sunglasses is brought to you, as always, by Papa and Barkley. If you're looking to relax, manage your stress, or also feel better in your body, I cannot recommend Papa and Barkley CBD products enough. They have a topical relief balm that I use all the time when I have achy joints after a workout. They also have CBD tinctures and gummies, all kinds of goodies. If you go to papaandbarkley.com and you use code CRYING, you will get 20% off of your CBD order and you'll also be helping out the show. So check out the link in the description and you're welcome. You've been very prolific and I want to know, do you have any sort of blocks and how do you work through those when you're trying to write or work on a script or be creative like if you wake up and you're just like fuck I don't want to do this today but you still have to go to set like how do you get yourself in that headspace yeah to like write specifically or just like to make content or um I mean I guess any of it but maybe writing we do have a lot of writers that listen I don't know to do anything creative I feel like just hit or miss like I don't like sit down all day every day and do stuff so I think I try and like make it exciting so like open mics I do like once or twice a week writing sessions I do it a couple times a week Mm -hmm. but I know some people write like every single day but for me I think using a timer is just really helpful and I block it in my calendar in advance like I know if I'm going to be creative tomorrow from three to five like that's almost inherently comical like you have to like plan your creativity but yes like (laughs) you do know because you're committed to it yeah and if inspiration strikes in addition great but like I think a lot of creativity is like under the umbrella of a timer and of life experience and even if in the moment something's funny I write everything down in the joke journal or like a and then notes app on my phone. Sure. But I revisit that during structured time. Good. So I think a lot of things happen naturally and are funny and life's funny. And then I think write it down, but it doesn't mean you're in the mood to like write a script about it. I'm so similar. That's yeah. so great. I have a little running document. I have probably yeah, too do many do? documents. A little disorganized on it. But I do the same thing where it's like in the moment. 
there will be a, a thing that comes up where I'm like, oh, that's a really good idea for a character or a film or a joke or whatever. And I just put it in a little doc. And like you said, mm-hmm. then later on, if I'm brainstorming or if I have the time to write, then yeah, that's when I revisit it. I think that's a really good tip because sometimes you'll have these great ideas and you think, oh, I'll remember that later. You, I don't. Yeah, you don't. Normally we don't. Yeah. And so it takes the pressure off. Because then, okay, maybe I don't have time to actually write the whole thing out. But I'm going to write something that's enough of a reminder. It's going to jog my memory and then I can go back to that zone. Exactly. And, and like giving yourself that time. I don't think it's silly at all because think about it. Like a painter, for example. They visit their painting studio between this hour and this hour. Yeah. But no, I usually do 25 minutes of creativity, five minutes off. 25 minutes of writing, five minutes off. Like... There's so much you can get done in a 25 minute block. Yes. Even if you only did a 25 minute block once a day. Like I feel like otherwise, if you feel like you need four hours, you never have four hours and then it doesn't get done. So yes. I'm a fan of like little pockets of um, creativity. I also do Zoom accountability with people where we set a timer and we're like, okay, what are you going to accomplish the next 25 hours? What are you going to accomplish the next 25 hours? We both go off, come back five minutes debrief and then we go back off just like seeing each other yes. on the zoom screen as accountability I think is helpful yes I was doing that during the pandemic with a writer's group and yeah. it's like it's so smart I think is that the Pomodoro method yeah. yeah yeah so it's like they named it the Pomodoro method because there's a kitchen timer that looks like a Pomodoro tomato I did not even know this okay great and uh I don't know who invented it but that's where the name comes from and then you can pick out like I don't think it really matters the length of time as long as you stick to it 25 and 5 is great I've done it like 15 and 5 yeah and what's cool do you do it this way so the way I do it is say hi then you turn on the timer I will mute myself but keep my camera on yeah so that it's like I'm accountable to doing the stuff and then I it's I guess scouts honor that I'm not opening other windows and doing other things Mm -hmm. um and then once that timer is up we come back for five minutes and we're supposed to just like completely put the work down Mm -hmm. yes exactly and try to either go get a snack or talk about other things is that kind of what you're doing yeah definitely okay everyone do it do what (laughs) we're doing yeah but I have all different accountability partners I have some for stand-up I have some for acting business Mm. I have some for something in between some for creating content like I have different groups that I use for different things so I'm a fan of Staggerit and then for accountability partners I have a daily weekly and monthly so like different groups like one group we've met every month for like 10 years and one we meet once a week and once we check in once a day so I'm a big fan of accountability and check-ins I so love if you it. ever feel like you can't do it without someone you're not insane it's really helpful to have someone checking in with you well because it takes a village yeah it literally does and especially when you're living alone it's very easy to lose track of time mm-hmm. so that's that's awesome. I'm I'm jealous because I feel like I'm just starting to get back into trying to form some sort of accountability for myself mm-hmm. because peer pressure, that's the only thing that's going to make me get shit done. Mm-hmm. If right. I'm left to my own devices, like, yeah. yeah, absolutely not. Like, yeah. I would love to think, like you said, oh, I'm going to block out four hours and I'm going to finish yeah. everything. That is not how life works. Yeah. And let's stop pretending that's how it works. Yeah. Like, it's not how it works. And I've also noticed, I don't know if you've noticed this, sometimes you get like a day off or you have like a full, that like that big chunk of time with nothing going on. And you think, oh, I'm going to get so much done. And then you sit there and it, there's, because there's so much unstructured time, mm-hmm. it's like sometimes you get overwhelmed and you just don't do anything. 
Yeah, well, they say if you want to get something done, ask a busy person. Mm. <laughs> because, you know, you know you have certain windows that you can get something as opposed to the whole day. So, yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah. But sometimes it's nice if you have a day, you just need a day to yourself. That's okay, too. Yeah. Live your life. Take your day. <laughs> I love how much advice you're giving. This yeah, is so great. It's so weird. I always am, like, thinking, like, who am I talking to? What do they want to hear? It's not weird at okay, all. Right. I think it's awesome. segueing into the fact that you're a podcaster yeah it's podcasting we've been meaning to do this literally for years yeah. to like have you on my show me on your show you still have to do mine. Well, i know yeah it'll happen. yeah i have a, a dead biological father and mm-hmm. you know that was when i was 18 or 19 but um just for our listeners who haven't heard the show uh, it's called dying of laughter and i know that um your father passed a long time ago and your mother has been ill for a while but um just could you let them know what your journey has been as far as like what inspired, like, how this affected your life and then what inspired you to start the podcast? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, it's called Dying of Laughter. It's comedians at Funny at Heart <laughs> Humans with deceased parents or siblings, so someone who's lost someone in their immediate family. And it's exploring grief comedically and through the lighter side and, like, finding the light and the joy and the bizarreness and the awkwardness through the grief experience. So it's a lot of comedians, but there's also wellness professionals on there as well. Well, I started it in January 2020, like right before everyone started dying. So like I was, I I knew death first, like before you guys, like I I created death really. Um, <laughs> no, but it was just like a little bit interesting timing. Um, but I love it. I love what you're doing. Thank you. I, I just know it makes me so excited because it's also a similar thing that we're trying to do here, which is just like, yeah, yes. if you can laugh about it, it doesn't have power over you. Yes. Normalizing the experience. I feel like you're doing that through finding comedy, through mental health experiences, like and yeah. normalizing, making, how would you say it? Normalizing mental health and just making it part of the conversation. Well, just not like that. It's not taboo. Yeah. We can talk about it. Yeah. And especially like you're saying with all the like, um, with COVID, like, yeah, mental health has always been an issue for many people in the world, but they just weren't talking about it. And then all yeah. of a sudden, once everyone was locked in their homes and everyone's dying and all this stuff is happening, oh, now everyone's in a mental health crisis. Yeah. And now, because of the the amount of people that are struggling, all of a sudden, now the conversations are coming to the surface and people are going to therapy and it's not just for crazy people anymore and that kind of thing. So I... Yeah, therapy is for everyone. I'm a huge proponent. Like, whether it's traditional talk therapy or some other form of therapy, I think it's so important because if you don't address things now, they will, you know, come back later. Yes. Uh, And and they'll be addressed at some point, whether you wanted to address them or not. Um, So your your you had your father who passed, and I'm so sorry about that. And thank you. Um, your mother who is. When she was diagnosed a while ago with breast yeah. cancer. So when I was in third grade, both my parents were diagnosed. My dad had ALS, which stands for amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, also referred to as Lou Gehrig's disease, which is made known by the ice bucket challenge. If you ever did that, that was to raise awareness for ALS. Before mm-hmm. that, no one knew what ALS was. It's still a very rare disease, but your muscles... Hi, Angel. Um, <laughs> Penny's she, back. She like Your dog has been like sitting quietly the whole time. My dog, she's not like a obtrusive or barking but she's just pacing then come it's like what, what? well she's doing her own thing you know it's the penny show we're it's just living the it. show we're living it um, so your your father anyways, back to like my dead dad um yes yeah, so it's just like nbd nbd the dead dad uh, but yes he your muscles stop working and it deteriorate so mm-hmm. he was paralyzed and in a wheelchair for a very long time like i don't have any memories of my dad as a traditionally or just a classically so he, healthy person so from when you were from your earliest memories he was not 
fully yes. able-bodied. I re- correct. I, I remember him walking a bit, but his arms were always not working. And then his first symptoms happened when I was four. He was diagnosed when I was eight. So, like, he thinks, like, they misdiagnosed him for a few years. But whether I was four or eight, I don't know. Very little. It was yeah. young. And then, yeah, he was fully paralyzed and uh, bedridden from when I was 12 to when he died, like, the week I turned 19. And so, yeah, he, most of my memories, he just was completely immobile and ALS does not affect your brain at all. So you're completely present. You just are paralyzed. So I think it's one of the most difficult, challenging experiences that a person can go through. I am biased because I have firsthand experience witnessing that, but like, it's just really, it sounds awful, tragic and it's fatal. And like, you can't get your mobility back. I mean, certainly there's physical therapy and things you can do, but if you're paralyzed or paralyzed, yeah, it's a um, progressive disease so like once you've gotten to that certain level you can't at this point there's no medicine that's going to take you back to regain use of those right parts and it's incredible like they've made so many new developments since his diagnosis you know that he's died died over 10 years ago now Mm -hmm. but um there's still no way to reverse it or cure you. But like sometimes mm-hmm. I see things I'm like, oh, this is going to slow this down. This is going to stop this for this amount of time. I'm like, oh, that's cool. That's good. For someone. But yeah. it's not fun. And then my mom had breast cancer when I was in third grade as well, which of course is uh, very common. You know, one in eight women will get breast cancer in their lifetime. So I have a lot of empathy and experience with like very rare disease and also common disease. Not that yeah. anyone's cancer experience is the same. Um, but then... Yeah, and she, you know, had her mastectomy and chemo and radiation and everything. So my dad was in a wheelchair. My mom was bald. And so comedy came into my life early because it was, like, yeah. so awkward. You just had to laugh that, like, your my parents were, like, these strange-looking yeah. people. Breast cancer is something that is very prevalent right now. I mean, even in younger people are being diagnosed and yeah, well, one, scary. One, one in eight women will, will get breast cancer. One so. in eight is what they're saying now? Yeah. Oh. Within their lifetime. So, you know, my recommendations are to just regularly do self exams and like, it seems like awkward, but like feel your boobs in the shower, like really feel them. Is there anything off? There's really great charts online. If you Google know your lemons, there's a really cool cool interesting charts that show different things that could happen with your breasts and your nipples and you can see if there's anything wrong and also having a doctor fill your breasts once a year and a gynecologist fill your breasts once a year so if they don't offer to do it ask them it should be part of but not maybe someone doesn't so i stagger my regular doctor's appointment and my gynecologist six months apart so that's technically once every six months someone's taking a look mammograms start when you're approximately 40 so that's not going to be for everyone listening but if you're approaching 40 have a think on it or 10 years younger than when a person in your family is diagnosed so mine will happen much earlier but so your mom was diagnosed she was like in her 30s or she was 44 when she was first diagnosed so anything considered under 50 is like more of a red flag to get cancer after 50 still horrible you never want to get cancer but there's more other factors that could contribute at that point right so under 50 is more the like red flag but yeah i mean she was 44 it's like no one wants cancer when they're 44 but she wasn't like 20 but no one wants it ever great yeah (laughs) yeah no one wants it ever um but then she was fine and Mm -hmm. then it returned 17 years later so she has stage four metastatic breast cancer to this day so now she has tumors throughout her body metastases Mm -hmm. means her tumors have spread Mm -hmm. but she's been living with that i think almost like six years now so when she was first Mm re-diagnosed that was really really 
really traumatizing and scary because oh. stage four. Because you thought she had gone into remission or? She was in remission for, yeah, 17 years. Oh, so she okay. Sorry, I didn't understand no, okay. that. There's a lot of numbers and stuff I'm, floating around. But I'm yeah. trying my best to follow. But yes, yeah, so, okay. So you, there were 17 years of your life where you thought, yeah. whew, yes. we're done with that. Yes. And now all of a sudden you get this phone call yes. from your mother. Yes. And do you remember that moment? Yes, I pulled over. I was sobbing. It was just horrible because, you know, they told her right away it had it spread. And that's what's really scary. And there's a lot of people, people who've been on my podcast, people I'm friends with in real life. You know, a stage four diagnosis could mean you die that year. Pretty quick, yeah. Or it could mean you live a long time. So there's hope and that's yeah. great. Yeah. Um, but part of the impetus for getting so involved in grief communities and starting my grief related podcast was mm-hmm. I didn't know what community to go to. So I wanted right. to create one because I was uh, 25 at the time and I thought, okay, well, I'm not going to have parents, you know, before I'm 30. And like, I just don't you have to find people. And I was like, so upset by that, understandably. And I, you know, my dad had died like just yeah six years before and I would say like the first three years after he died I was just like so depressed you know and then the second Mm -hmm. chunk of three years you're like it's gonna be sad forever but you're like okay I have my uh, footing here but it wasn't long enough that I felt like really strong in my foundation and understanding and I had never gone to therapy to address his loss because I was young and I just oh I really to do that okay, yeah so. so then I was like okay now you have to now you're, to go okay and so how was that going to therapy for the first time or you know I've always had a really good experience with therapy I consider myself a very open person so like I don't know it's interesting like when it comes to grief and death and cancer I just I've just been thinking about it my whole life. And Mm. for whatever reason, I feel really comfortable exploring it and going there. But maybe someone can relate if they don't feel that way. Like, we all have other things we're, like, less comfortable with. So for me, I'm not, like, so open with my therapist about, like, my sex life. Like, that to me feels like this is hard to talk about and I don't know, but like death and grief. I'm like, Oh yeah, I have thoughts. Let's go there. All so day, every day. Something yeah. that they're more comfortable with and less comfortable with. Um, but it was really because to anticipate, excuse me, to anticipate the loss of my mom. Yes. And then fortunately we're here. She's still here. She's still living with it. So I think at that, how time, is she doing by the way? She's good. Yeah. Thanks for asking. So it's, you know, it's, I don't know. It's, I don't want to compare of course. It to other things or diabetes, but like, it's like, it's under control. She has appointments weekly, bi-weekly, every mm-hmm. month. She gets injections. She goes to UCSF all the time. She's frequent blood tests. She gets radiation. Like, it's a huge part of her life. It's not just like, oh, yeah, cancer. Like, she's at appointments all the time. It's a full-time job. Yes. Yeah. But the fact that you can live with a stage four diagnosis, like, for over five years and, like, she walks, she talks, she plays tennis. Like, she has... She's lost some hair, but not all of it. Like, it's just very yeah. thin, but, like, she has hair. Like, the fact that you can live a life with, like, a t- That's amazing. tumors is, like, kind of cool. I mean, that's it's amazing. not great, but it's no, cool. No, but I'm saying, yeah, like, Chelsea, that's, like, how long has it been since she got diagnosed? It's, like, five? been, like, five, uh, six years, yeah. And she's, like, I mean, I hesitate to say thriving, of course. Yeah, but, but yeah, she's, thriving adjacent, for sure, yeah. You know, she's living, she has a good quality of life. Yes. And she's able to be out there doing activities that she likes. She's able to spend time with her friends. Like, yeah. is it perfect? Absolutely not. Yeah. But like, I don't know. I'm just very, I'm very happy for you that you get this time with her and that hopefully it'll get better or who knows. But like, that's 
Yeah. I'm very happy to hear that. Thank you. Well, yeah, I, I hope it's, you know, I don't want anyone to compare experiences because every cancer diagnosis, every diagnosis is so different. But, like, there is hope and there are people thriving and living very well with a stage four cancer diagnosis. So yeah, it is like you said, thank you for acknowledging like it is really hard. I think everyone in my life is so used to it now. Like a lot of people are like, wait, does she still have cancer? Is she in remission? Like, did she recover? It's like, no. And her tumors, they're never going to go away. So it's not reversible. I see. But the fact that like, there's not new ones growing every day, like slowly over time, stuff spreads a little bit, you know, but like, I don't know. It seems like it's going well. Um, What's interesting is, you know, my dad had ALS for so long. I did notice, you know, when my mom was first diagnosed, I thought, well, best case scenario, I go through a similar experience to what my dad went through. And like, I have to watch one parent have an illness for a long time again, which ironically is definitely the best case scenario, because if not, that means they die quickly. But now we're entering into the territory of that. And like, so far, so good. But it is interesting that it's, you know, my second parent with this longer diagnosis so yeah it's but i think i'd prefer again someone to to live than to not but it is interesting that it's like oh this again yeah mm-hmm. i mean you're a professional at this point <laughs> i'm an expert unfortunately <laughs> in parent diagnoses you, but um you were yeah. talking about something on your podcast called um anticipatory grief mm-hmm. which is I knew about that as a concept, but I had never heard it put in those terms before. And as soon as you said it, I said, oh my God, that's so real. Mm-hmm. Like the anticipation of losing the person. Yes. And you, so you're kind of pre-grieving. Yes. Uh, before they're even gone. And I feel like that can even happen without death or mm-hmm. disease. It can even happen when you have a friend who you know is going to move to a different city mm-hmm. or uh, like maybe at the end of a relationship and you're like, fuck, I can tell this is not going well. Yeah. That kind of thing. I mean, do you consider yourself in that stage? Yeah. Well, yeah, it's interesting. The idea of a dispertory grief is often when someone is first diagnosed, but it also can be, you know, related to mental health. If someone's suffering from addiction, like when, Mm. when the first time there's an accident or you find out about that person's addiction, you know, maybe anticipatory grief is coming up for you then. Uh, Then there's also sudden loss, which is, the opposite of that and there's not an anticipatory grief period but mm-hmm. yeah i can i considered myself in that period for for like probably the first three years of my mom's second diagnosis sure we were always waiting for the other shoe to drop now it's so normal i'm no longer in that regularly but there still is the overarching theme of like my mom isn't going to be around mm-hmm. as long as some other people's moms. Yeah. Just because, like, if you have stage four cancer, you're not really living till you're 100. It's weird because yeah. it's like, you know, you don't want to think about it. Or I, I don't think about it every day anymore. Sure. I don't say you don't want to, but it's just so normal. But it's like, okay, well, like. It's been this many years. But it's like, oh, like, even if there's, like, five more, <laughs> yeah. that'd probably be really good. But then I'm like, wait. That's like sad. <laughs> Wait, five more years? That's like not great. I'm sorry, uh, that was that was the funniest thing I've heard. You're like, well, my mom could live for five more years, but that's like sad. That is literally what I said. But the Valley Girl is coming out a little bit. Yeah, girl. Um, kind of exaggerating, kind of not. But no, I'm like things like, will she meet my future partner? Mm. Like, will my kids have grandparents? Like, probably not. Um, so stuff like that mm-hmm. gets really weird. I mean, also like me and my mom like plan her death. Like, we know what's happening for her funeral. Like, we have will. You've talked it over. We like know. Like, we like have funny. Like, it's like a funny relationship. Like, sometimes she'll be like. 
should I buy this pair of $300 shoes? Or like, no, that's just going to, they're basically Chelsea shoes then. Like, like, cause then Chelsea's just going to fucking <laughs> Do you guys them. wear the same size? Yeah. So oh, okay. She, yeah. So she's like, I don't need this. is going to just go to fucking Chelsea anyways. So we're like, <laughs> well, there's lots of jokes about that. She's like, I could help you pay for your dog this month. Or I could like go to Europe and like, fuck you. Like, it's like very much like, is it your money or my money? Because she's like, yeah, she's going to be gone. I really love how open-minded you are. And like, it's so easy for people to become closed off, especially when they go through traumatic experiences, like losing a parent or, um, I know for me, if I've had times where my family members are in and out of a hospital, it's very hard to focus on other things. And it's very easy to become stressed out and irritable and everything. So I just, I don't know. I think you're doing great. Thanks. You're doing great. (laughs) We're doing doing great. great. We're being open about our dead dads. I know. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing more of your story when you come on my podcast. Yes. You can share everything about you. I'm an open book. I'm an open book. Cliff's Notes version is mostly that, uh, so I haven't seen him in person since I was three years old, but they separated when I was a baby baby. Uh, And then he died from alcoholism when I was uh, my first year of uh, NYU. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, definitely something that changed me, and it was tough. There was it was a weird kind of loss because of the lack of relationship and mm-hmm. the hope for that relationship that had gone through my childhood, and then thinking like, oh, okay, you know what? When I'm 18 and I leave my house and everything, that I'm gonna go meet him. Mm-hmm. And I was in the process of talking to his family and kind of sniffing it out. And then he passed. Mm -hmm. And so it took a minute. It took a minute to get over. And by a minute, I mean, like, you know, I don't know. A decade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, because you think you've dealt with it. Yeah. And then a few years later, you're like, oh, fuck. Like, no, now I'm really dealing with it. Right. So... Well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I know it's important to normalize all kinds of losses. Mm-hmm. Like people, like you said, that didn't know their person, that has its own unique set of experiences that like, yeah. and it's totally okay to like mourn that loss and be like, I wish I knew them or I wish I didn't or I, you know, just or I wish I had questions. a chance to form my own opinion about this person. Oh, that's interesting. You know? Mm-hmm. And that's something, well, yes, whenever I get to your pod, I want to like talk more about. Yeah. Because, um... Yeah, like you said, every single person's experience with these things, whether it's grief or cancer or whatever, like, it's completely different. It's personal, but then it's also universal. Because when you open up about these things on your podcast, mm-hmm. other people feel less alone. Yes. <laughs> I mean, especially, you know, yeah. I, I remember we talked about, I think that we were about the same age. I was 19. You were like 18, 19. Like you said, so both of us was the first year of college when we lost our dad oh, although completely different wait i didn't realize that was the, the timing yeah okay. yeah so that age is just interesting of like a, you know much less open than say now like if someone died now i'd be like okay i'm gonna get into therapy like within the first few months like not just like i don't know yeah and so it's hard to not know and then like yeah. you said you have to deal with it later like i never went to therapy about my dad until my mom was diagnosed right i was like oh i should deal with this yeah but so there's always going to be something else that could remind you Yes. At that time, but I'll do a quick plug for the dinner party, which is free virtual grief group. So it's like 20s to 40s. It's all free. It's online and it's all based on kind of loss or not. So there's general loss, dad loss, sibling loss, you like special kinds of loss. Like there could be losses for someone who didn't know their parents. So you could be in that mm-hmm. community. Or like alcoholism yeah. or different things. Interesting. So I really recommend that resource. Huh. All right. Well, hey, yeah. thank yeah. you. That's really, I, I love all this stuff. Um, and that actually 
I mean, you just gave me a hot tip, so I feel crazy that I'm about to introduce this segment, but you know. Do it. Introduce um, it. Chelsea London Lloyd. I need to know. If you have like a shitty day, like you have, you go to set and you just feel like, oh, I didn't really do what I wanted to do. Or you bomb. I know this never happens. I know that all your shitty day would be when I'm not going to set, which is like most of the time. Okay. Shitty day, not on set. I don't know. Something goes wrong. Yeah. The dog shits on the floor, right? You're having a bad day. What are you going to do to turn your mood around? What is your hot tip? Oh, it's so hard. But when your brain is firing off neural pathways in the same way that they did yesterday, the day before, the day before, you're going to feel the same thing. So like, I don't know. I've been told you to shake up those neural pathways and that's by doing things in a different way than you normally do them. So like if you normally even drive home this way, drive home, take a different route, walk a different path, eat a different kind of food, read a different kind of book. So the quickest, easiest thing that I can recommend is just doing something totally different than what you normally do change it up even if it's minimal like i haven't eaten pears in a while i always have an apple for breakfast it's like just change your freaking day and then also just like getting outside and walking i think is so underrated like i don't think now your life is so much better but i think it can get a tiny bit better by just getting out of your environment whether you put on your airpods and like grab a podcast or music or go silent yeah and also like get off the phone like once you've hit play on that podcast Let's like put the phone in the pocket and look and take take a breath, yeah. look out at the city or nature or whatever it is that you're looking at. Yeah. So just I think getting outside immediately and yeah. doing something different. Um, I'm a big fan of I have a Kindle now. You're a hard book person. I, I got that too. But um, I love Kindle. Kindle is so helpful. So Libby is the li- public library's free app. So you can download uh, books for free onto oh. Libby. Like all the bestsellers, all every book you want is on there. Mm-hmm. If it's like popular, you have to wait a few weeks or months. But it's through the public library. And they also have audiobooks for free on there, which audiobooks are like 30 bucks to buy. I so love audiobooks. I totally recommend the Libby app just if you want something new in your ear that can inspire you. Yeah. Yeah. For a long time, it was like, if I was really depressed, I would put on Oprah. Yeah. Super what, do Soul- do? yeah. What, do o- what do you do? Yeah. Oprah Super Soul Sundays. Okay. Just, she always, her, her voice is so soothing mm-hmm. and she's always got some sort of new platitude yeah. that I'm going to hear. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. I can do it, Oprah. I am special. Or like the other day I was watching her. I don't know why. I'm just very obsessed with her. I mean, duh. Yeah. Uh, duh. Who isn't? Uh, when people don't like her, actually, I get very suspicious of them. Like, yeah, why, would, yeah, why would someone not like Oprah? Yeah. Okay. Uh, no, we don't like that. <laughs> but uh, the other day I was watching some commencement speech she was giving, and she said, don't let this world give you imposter syndrome. And I thought, fuck yeah. Thank you. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. don't let this world tell you you ain't shit because you are. And right. like, I, I, t- I took that and I said, yeah, you're right. Fuck you, everyone. Don't make me feel bad about myself. Don't like whatever magazine you're opening and making you feel bad about your body or you look at someone else's um, career and you want theirs and it makes you feel bad about you. No, you know what? Fuck all that. I'm going to choose that I'm awesome. Mm -hmm. Yes, I like that. (laughs) Let's choose that we're awesome. I know, when you're feeling down, definitely don't go on Instagram. That's what I would say. Um, But I'm a fan if you are big on social media. I also help artists with their social media. I'm basically like an Instagram therapist, not a real therapist. Wait, wait, what? People just like cry to me about their Instagrams. Yeah, that's my side job. It's like helping artists like make videos, grow their following, etc. But it's really people who are like stressed out and like sad about how awkward it is to compare yourself and stuff like that. So that's a whole other story. But I think I can make experience a little 
little less awkward. Like it's hard. So I need is you. Hard. Yeah, I think we can, I need you. We can totally <laughs> we can chat about that. No pressure. But no, it's it's hard. But like, there's a way to do it a little more authentically and like to feel better about what you're posting. We talk about the post and ghost method. So you post and you ghost. It's like you're adding value without like consuming everything else. Like it's just so, so many people go out and consume, consume, consume. Like what if you added value? What if you put something out there and then left? Post and ghost. Yeah, post and ghost. This is great. See, post and get out of there. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I think the, the trap you fall into is you say, well, I have to be on social media for my career. So then you don't. you're on. But if you're going to, we can work together. But you don't have to. Yeah. Right. You know what I'm saying, though? Yeah, like, right. there's that that thing yeah. that you think, right? Yeah. So then you go, okay, I'm going to go on here and post. Yeah. Mm, what's this? What's this? What's this? I know. Whole hour later. Yeah. Then you go, mm, you know what? I don't even want to post anything. And then it doesn't happen. Right. Versus if you're going in with the intention of, okay, I'm posting. I'm closing this application. I'm not going to do the things I've done this yeah. where you post something and then you keep refreshing, refreshing, refreshing who has commented, who's liking, have people seen, I know it sounds insane. No, it's, it's a lot. Well, they created <clears> social <throat> media with the same mechanisms as mine as gambling in Vegas. Like the top red heart, that's like pulling the level. Dopamine. Gambling. Yeah. So yeah, Don't that's do it. its own topic, but like, it's okay to be on social media and lose time to social media. As long as it's not impacting your life and like all day, every day, that's all you do. Yeah. So like if once in a while, I mean, yeah, we've all been there. I mean, I waste plenty of time on there, but if it's like, Nine to five. I didn't leave my phone. That's a problem. No, so don't, I'm just saying, don't feel bad if you're like, but I lose myself. Nah. Like that's sometimes fine. we need to. It's addictive. It's okay. Like it's addictive. We are addictive. As we're closing up, do you have any other like words of wisdom for someone who might be going through something similar with a parent or a sibling or a loved one that is having a longer illness and? how they might be able to get through their day and still find joy. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, if that's you, I see you, I relate to you. It's really hard. My best advice is having some kind of outlet and it doesn't have to look the same for anyone, but for everyone. But again, plugging the dinner party, like that's a free virtual grief group. It's an amazing resource. It doesn't mean you have to talk to your immediate friends and family. Um, traditional talk therapy is amazing. I've found therapists in real life. I've found them through BetterHelp. I've found them online. Just having someone, even if once a month, you can have a formal or official check-in about your process. Mm -hmm. Some people, it might be a best friend. It could be like a rabbi or a priest or like an aunt or a cousin. It doesn't really matter, but someone that's in your life that's checking in with you just for you about this specific experience. Yes. There's also grief groups and more groups I could recommend specific to cancer in Los Angeles. So I can and send you some links but yeah. just getting involved with this conversation I think it's a big identity shift for some people to be like wait I'm a person who like has to think about let's say cancer or illness and like so that's uncomfortable and people might not run or be so excited to the idea of like having a new community in this space but I'm telling you like having it before they die is actually a privilege rather than sudden loss where you're scrambling and we don't compare but that's true. Just having people in mind who are already looking out for you is really cool. And I also do these grief camps every year. It's it's like the coolest people on earth. So what's the grief camp? So it's a camp for kids who have lost a parent or sibling. Okay. I do two. One's called Camp Aaron. One's called Experience Camps. One's a week long. One's a weekend long. And they what's your role there? Um, so they have a, there's a therapist assigned to every group. And then okay. there's volunteers to facilitate. So I'm basically like 
adjacent to the therapist Mm -hmm. talking with the kids like there's a licensed professional for like leading the main conversation so there's no pressure if you're interested in volunteering to be like but i'm not a therapist that's okay and all the other adults like we sleep in the cabins we have the kids we take them to meals we take them to activities so you're checking in throughout the entire day and night in the middle of the night they start crying about their dead person um but there's a really inspiring documentary called one last hug on hbo one last hug okay 30 minutes uh that's specifically one of the camps that i do called camp aaron about no matter where you're located if you want to get inspired check out the documentary it's really beautiful and if you ever feel like i don't really know anyone in the grief world or where to start grief camp it seems like a lot of work or i don't know like it's it's totally a once in a lifetime experience it's amazing it's completely changed who i am as a person i've done it every year maybe like five years now four years and i have like the coolest friends i have like grief friends now and we just like jive about grief even if you like hated kids i swear you would find something that you liked about this because there's like teens too if you're not into like little kids there's teens yeah and they have these camps i'm sure all over the country yes Um, you would like it just saying yeah no i'm volunteering It's as much for like the people who you're helping, it's for them, but it's yeah. also for you yeah. because you get to feel good that you had an impact on someone else's life. And it's just like a, it's a feel good situation all around. And yes, it's coming from this heavy, terrible thing, mm-hmm. which is the grief, but because there's a community, you don't feel alone and then yes. you can all just love on each other and have fun it's really cool because the adults we're not there for us so yeah. we're not sharing our grief experiences mm-hmm. but like you learn and gain so much and obviously like you you side chat with the other volunteers like why are you here and everyone's like my dad died or you know yeah but the kids are so cute they're like wait your mom died of cancer my mom died of cancer what's your phone number like they're just Aww. so cute or like i had two kids like that started dating they were teens that started yeah. dating like their dad's a both died of COVID and then they sure. like started dating and like bonded over their dead COVID dads. Wait, where is this Lifetime movie <laughs> or Hallmark film? Someone write it. Someone write it. But I'm getting like, wait, what was that? A Walk to Remember. Remember that? Mandy Moore film. Best film ever. Um, but yeah, no, Grief Camp is totally a movie. I have, I have drafts about it, honestly, but I think Rose should write it. I'm not like a feature film writer at heart. Like, would I love to write it? I think I'll make a movie one day in my life. Like, I would like to make one movie. You will. So I don't need to be Scorsese about it. But yeah, someone somewhere should like totally write Grief Camp the movie. A thousand percent. Grief Camp the musical. I won't sing it because my voice is horrible. Actually, wait, no. We don't care about that. I will sing it. You've done so yeah. many musicals. You're qualified. I will say every year grief camp, I do emcee the talent show. Who surprised no one. Duh. Uh, last year, we did a rendition of Grief Lightning. Mm. You know the song Grief Lightning? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Go Grief Lightning. And like the little kids, it was the time of their life. And to the teens, they were truly more traumatized than by their own dead dads. Oh. Uh, to, okay. to sing Grief Lightning. Well, you know what? It wasn't for everyone. <laughs> well, it wasn't for everyone. That's okay. Yeah. But you know who is for everyone? you i'm for everyone that's correct absolutely sorry i had to i had to no i just it's been so lovely to have you here and like we've gone so many we've covered so many topics that are so helpful and you've given like all these different resources which i will be sure to link in the description around grief and getting people together and everything and i think for me the moral of the story is like reach out find your people 
Like, even if the thing that has happened to you is something that you don't like, or especially, mm-hmm. that's the time to go find the stuff. Don't hide in your room. Don't isolate yourself. Because whatever you're feeling, it's just going to get worse if you try to do all of it alone. Mm-hmm. Right? So just thank you so much. And if people want to check you out, they should go to... You can follow me on Instagram mm-hmm. at Chelsea Else, which is more comedic content, a peek behind the curtain of my life. And then the podcast is called Dying of Laughter. Instagram is dying of laughter so that'll be the grief comedy stuff there yes yes and that all of the interviews on there are so awesome every single guest that you have is a little bit different they have different experiences and you are not afraid to do the whole deep dive which I really appreciate we go deep we dive we deep we dive 100% <laughs> yay thank you so much Justin. thanks for having me Kayla this was fun dead yeah. dads are fun yay <laughs> okay <laughs>